Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 129 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, normally presented by Overdrive, but today we're presented by the brand new app from Overdrive called Libby. First off, this is Adam, and Jill is here as well. Hi, Jill. Hi, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So before we get about into what this episode is, I want to tell everyone a little bit about Overdrive's brand new app called Libby. So Libby was designed based on guidance that we've got from our librarian partners all around the world. And we've gotten feedback from thousands of beta users over the past couple of months. But um, if you're familiar with the Overdrive app, Libby is going to be kind of like the same thing, but better. Uh, Libby enables you to sign in the multiple libraries at the same time with your library card. It lets you download books and audiobooks for both offline reading and online reading. Uh, it will... Basically, it's designed for brand new users to be able to get going as quickly as possible. But if you're an OverDrive user, and if you're one of the people who listen to this podcast, I'm guessing you are, we would love it if you checked out Libby. So if you go to your uh, app stores, whether it's iTunes or Android or Microsoft, you can find Libby just by searching Libby. And actually, it'll it'll show up if you search for OverDrive as well, which is a good job by our app teams. Um, if you want to learn more about the app, you can go to Meet. .libbyapp.com or just search for Meet Libby. It will definitely show up there. So before we get going, we want to have a little bit of a pseudo ad, a little bit of housekeeping for our internal people here. So go check out Libby. It's really, really wonderful. It is wonderful. So now, hello. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. You already asked me that. I know. I just, that was like, that's how I, I don't know how to talk without getting that out of the way. Anyway, by the time this comes out, you and I will be like really getting ready to go to ALA in Chicago. We will be getting ready to go to ALA in Chicago, so if any of our library friends are there, please stop by the Overdrive booth. I may or may not be there because I'm attending sessions, but... <laughs> I will be there. Adam will be there. I'll be talking a whole about Libby, our new I'll app. be in and out of the, the booth. Yeah. Um, Joe and I will be doing a bunch of fun interviews. Uh, I will be presenting what's new with Overdrive, aka Libby, our new app. Um, and yeah, having all sorts of fun. Uh... Speaking of all sorts of fun, what did we do in this episode? This was really fun. This was fun. So because it's, you know, ALA week and we sort of try to do something quasi-related yeah. to ALA week, um, we have two, we are very fortunate to have two librarians who have been in the industry for a long time. And and I feel bad saying that. You know what I mean? They both, like, that's a weird thing to say. I know, but they both brought it up. They so. both brought it up. So they have been um, librarians for decades and were very instrumental in, in Overdrive becoming what it is today. So they both um, work here. Kind of like consultants, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a good way to describe them. Yeah. So we just sort of sat down with them to talk about how Overdrive became what it is. Um, thanks to their help when they were working at Cleveland Public Library. And then just sort of the importance of libraries and digital collections and meeting the needs of their patrons and all sorts of fun library stuff. Yeah, and Overdrive as a company has existed for a little over 30 years, but Overdrive in the way that everyone who uses it now understands it as, you know, the world's leading ebook and audiobook company. Our CEO is going to be really happy with all these taglines we're throwing into this one. Um, but the the company that it, it, how it exists right now, being able to borrow content from your library is really only, you know, 17, 18 years yeah, old. Yeah, they were talking about like 2001 through 2002, yeah. like 15 years-ish. And so these two lovely ladies, uh, our CEO's wife actually used to be a librarian as well. Right. So he has deep roots in the library world. And when they came with his idea, he was smart enough to know what he didn't know. So he found a bunch of librarians to get feedback from, and and these two were very integral in it. And now, as you mentioned, they work in our office every day. So we're very fortunate. When we say we have librarians here, we have librarians with lots of experience. 
Um, so yeah, a little bit different. This is more about the history of our company, and like you said, the importance of librarians, and and it was just fun to get to chat with them. We're very lucky that they're here. Yep. Um, since at the very end, they uh, have a couple book recommendations, but we could talk about some books since there aren't a ton. And normally on Thursdays, we give out book recommendations. If you would like to do that, we can do that. Okay. So first thing I want to tell everyone: if you go to overdrive.com. And scroll down, there are two really good lists. Uh, today, when we're recording this, being the summer solstice, felt pretty good. We have two lists that are nice. One of them is 2017 Beach Reads. So if you're looking for books that you can read while you're on your travels. And then those are those are going to be everything new and a little bit older. But then we also have our Overdrive Staff Librarians Summer Picks. So those is a big old list of new books that are coming out all throughout the summer that we're all really excited about. So... Those are two lists that will be really good. And then we can also, have you been reading anything lately? That's yeah. Um, so I, as we talked about in the last episode, I went to Ann Arbor this past weekend for um, Roxanne Gay, her author event up in Ann Arbor. Um, so I listened on the way there and on the way back, I listened to the audiobook of Janet Mock's first book, Redefining Realness. But she narrates herself, so now I kind of want her second book on audiobook. Um, and then I read Roxanne Gay's newest book, Hunger, um, which she read from at her event. And then just yesterday, I got the audiobook for David Sedaris's new book, Theft by Finding. His, nice. His diaries from, I don't remember the exact date, like 1970-something to 2002. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and Sarah Dessen. I started the Sarah Dessen yes. once and for all. Yes. Um, so... I, over the past, like, couple of months, I've told people my full name and they can find me on Goodreads, and a lot of our listeners have, which is awesome, but it's become a running joke with some of our listeners where I will put a book that I'm reading, which is obviously for the podcast, and it'll be a book that doesn't come out for several months, and so I will put things on there and people will be like, can't wait to read this in five months, <laughs> and so I actually our have- Our listeners run, are awesome. They're amazing, and so I actually have, I, I sassed one of, the, one of our really- amazing listeners because the last three of the last four books I have read and put on Goodreads are books that are out and available. So uh, one was when I was at PEA, I got to hear Jason Reynolds speak on the panel that Marie Niekamp was on. And so they gave us a couple of books of his. So one is called Ghost and I read that uh, last night. It's really quick. It's uh, like middle grade. Middle grade is probably, it's probably not even YA, but it was a finalist for the National Book Award and it's all about this a kid who lives in kind of a a rough neighborhood and he has a really tough life and he finds out that he's uh, very fast and good at track so he joins this track team and uh, it's really inspiring about how he gets you know how he kind of turns his life around with this track team which is really great and that's been out for a full year so (laughs) anyone can read that and then now that I'm thinking and then I I read The Hike by Drew McGarry uh, he is really well known for writing for Deadspin and GQ and Esquire and the hike is kind of like um, a modern day Iliad and the Odyssey uh, with really sassy characters, and it's it's really good. Um, Drew, I believe, is he's coming to Cleveland, so I think we're gonna get to sit down with him. And then the other one I read, and I feel like we can talk about this. Who we're interviewing at ALA? I think we can tell people because I just finished one of the books of the people we're talking about. We're talking to, about to several people. So I know. Narrow it down a little bit. So <laughs> okay. And you can just, oh, if yes. you want to cut this I, out, we no, can. No, 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 I understand what you're talking okay, about. Okay, because it's confirmed. It is confirmed. So, among the many people that we're interviewing at ALA, one of them is Colson Whitehead, who, if the name sounds familiar-ish, I, I assume it would, he wrote The Underground Railroad, which won the, Na- let's see if I can get this right, National Book Award, Pulitzer Prize, Carnegie Medal, it was on Oprah's book club. Yes, I believe so. It was on President Obama's summer reading list. Basically everything. And I believe it won Book of the Year from like Time Magazine and BuzzFeed and all these different places. We are sitting down with Colson. We are. He's one of two Pulitzer Prize winners we're sitting down with back to back, which is amazing. Yes. So I just, I listened to the audiobook of that, which is. Yes, I listened to it too. It's, the narrator was phenomenal Mm -hmm. for that one. So yeah. So. Three and then the other one I already talked about, which was Marie Kniekamp's book that doesn't come out until right. next year. But three of the four books I've read recently are available for other people to read right now. So again, those are our books. Our books. If you go to overdrive.com and then scroll down, there's two really great summer book lists. But 
It's a Thursday episode. I want to make sure people had book recommendations. No, that's, yes. And I'll put all this in the show notes, I promise, for real this time. Um, anything else that you can think of? I don't think so. Okay, cool. I think you guys will enjoy this. It's fun to hear how our company came to be and why we have jobs here. Uh, so thanks to everyone for listening. If you're coming to ALA, please stop by and say hello to the two of us. Um, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Jill. I have Adam with me. Hello. And Adam, we have some special guests. We have some very special guests. Do you want to go ahead and introduce them? I, well, I'm going to mainly be a fly on the wall here, but we have That's two I'm wonderful... That's I understand. <laughs> we have two wonderful librarians. So we talk about all the time in our office that we have lots and lots of librarians who work here, which is very true. We have a whole team of librarians that you are on. Indeed. And you have two very special people on your team. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves first. Cindy, you've been on the podcast, I think, once or twice before, correct? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just for people who might not be familiar, can you maybe just give them who you are and what you do here at Overdrive? Okay. Um, my name is Cindy Orr, and... I'm sort of the mentor for the collection development librarians, mm-hmm. the 10 who work here mm-hmm. so far. Yes, so far. We've been growing over the years. Yes. Yeah. And then, so do you want me to go with Tish or Patricia today? Either one. Tish is fine. Okay. So Tish, you have not been on before, and while you are have long been a big friend of Overdrive's, you are new in the sense that you joined our offices recently. So for everyone who obviously is listening, wouldn't know who you are, so can you just kind of let them know what what you do here. Sure. I joined Overdrive uh, three months ago, Mm -hmm. and um, I work on special projects. Mostly those are things sort of in development or ideas that we're tossing around about improving services or products. And um, it's a a very special kind of job that I'm really enjoying. So So part of the reason we wanted to have both of you on is because this week is the American Library Association Conference. This is actually going to go live um, this episode is the first day of the conference, and so we just sort of were timing it with the library talk yeah. and all that. And um, as we were talking about before we started recording, both of you in your previous roles as librarians working in libraries had sort of been uh, integral in our company's yeah. startup, I guess would probably be. Yeah, so if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I think Steve talked to both of you guys. He talked to Cindy. Yeah, so Cindy, can you maybe give, because this is really, I, we don't, Cindy talk to me? normally when you have a company that people belong to, you don't have the ability to talk to people who actually came up with it. So Steve is in the room with us right now, he's traveling. So first off, that means you can say whatever you want about Steve. <laughs> um, but I guess, take us through maybe how the conversation started. How did Steve, you know find you in the library world and then how did our company of overdrive here kind of happen from those conversations well this was back in 2001 or 2002 Mm -hmm. and i worked at cleveland public library at the time and i was the collection manager yeah and we were trying to figure out a way to deliver ebooks to our patrons and at that time the only ebooks that libraries could buy had two big problems. One, you had to have a live internet connection. And we wanted something that would allow you to walk away mm-hmm. and listen to Right, music. sure. And two, um, the companies working with libraries didn't have any popular materials. It was all academic press. So we went out scouting because we knew we didn't have the programming capability to invent anything, nor the publisher relationships. And we went to several vendors one by one, and they got all excited and tried to work with us, and nothing happened. And then I read this article in Crane's Cleveland Business about Steve and Overdrive, which actually had been a company by then for 20 or 25 years, Mm -hmm. I think, but they were working mainly in the legal field. But the article said that, that his company had done an online bookstore for someone. And I thought, ooh. (laughs) <laughs> we're going to talk to them. And, of course, Steve was in Cleveland, too. And that made it even better. And then I went to an American Library Association meeting, and I'm wandering around the exhibits and in the 
Adobe booth, I see this guy with an overdrive shirt. And I said, we have to talk <laughs> when we get back to Cleveland. And Tish was my new boss at the time. And she was <laughs> brave enough to, to say, no, you're not crazy. <laughs> and we, um, we met and we talked about how could we build uh, a process that would allow not only Cleveland Public Library, but other libraries eventually to deliver ebooks to uh, their patrons. And uh, Tish took it from there, I think, and went to our director and asked for money. He said yes, too. That was Andrew Venable at the time. He doesn't get enough credit for this yeah. project. Yeah, I was going to say, that takes some foresight to, be, to, to go to a director and say... Because, I mean, we, there's still lots of people out there who, if you, you tell them, our library has ebooks. They still are a little bit blown away. And this, you said this was in the 2001. Yeah, we went live in 2002. Two. 2002. Yeah, like 15 years ago. That's, so so yeah. how, how, how did that conversation go between the two of you and then to the library director? We... Um, well, let me let me back up before you even met Steve. When I before coming to Cleveland Public Library, I had been at Dallas Public Library, and one of the things we had done in Dallas was we played around with something called Rocket eBooks, and OverDrive mm -hmm. was the source of Rocket eBooks. And what these were were devices that like little eBook readers yeah. that you checked out that were preloaded with a bunch of titles on what titles we could get at that time. <laughs> And we had played with that in Dallas, not not successfully, to be honest, because devices and libraries just don't go together, mm -hmm. and we just don't do equipment well. Right. And of course, the you know the customer would come and get it, and there was nothing on there they wanted to read. So you know, because we had to pre-select five books, you know, so it was so it, it was not a success. But I had heard the term, I'd heard the name Overdrive because we'd ordered like. 15 Rocket eBooks in 2000 and, and, and declared that a failure, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we knew the concept was good. Right. So. What was really interesting is that most people don't know this, but libraries had eBooks to check out long before Kindle. Yeah. What was, so, and that was, you said 2002. I, first of all, yeah. I want to see if we have one of these Rocket eBooks e here in our office. I wonder thing. if it's downstairs in the, um, and the display case. Yeah, yeah, we have this for people who have never been to our office, which is the majority yeah, of people. I remember listening. making the phone call because I was I was head of technical services and we were working very closely with our automation department. And I remember making the phone call. The person who answered the phone on the other end, you know, answered the phone overdrive, and I said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I think I've dialed the wrong number." You know, because I thought it was like for... a car parts, you know, <laughs> <laughs> an auto parts place, but it turned out not to be. No, right, it's the right place. So, so I remember that. So. But anyway, so Cindy came, we came out to Valley View and we met with Steve and the entire Overdrive staff, which consisted of three people, possibly four. I don't um, know, not very many. <laughs> not very many. We came out here, we had a meeting, we talked about what our goals and aspirations were, and then I went back and asked Andrew Venable for what was at that time quite a bit of money. I'd only been on this staff maybe, I don't know, three months at the time all that took place, and he said, sure, let's give it a try. So, and immediately it was successful because even though we had very limited content that we were able to offer to the public, the public embraced it, and um, we started winning awards, which got more and more mm -hmm. press and a variety of things. We got a big award from Auckland, with you know, yeah. trying something new. So, so I'm interested. You said that immediately it was a success, and Jill and I talk about it all the time that here in Cleveland and really Ohio as a whole, we are very fortunate in the library world because we have incredible library systems. Um, do you think the success right off the bat was had, any, had something to do with the way that you guys were promoting it or if it was just that Cleveland loves their libraries and so people were coming to it or a little combination of the two? I'm just curious because, I mean, it's a not, it, at the time it was a very new concept, but for it to take off that quickly, I, I wonder why you guys think that might have worked. I just think the time was right. Um, it's kind of ironic, but most of the articles in the journals of the time were saying, 
oh, that ebook idea is dead, never <laughs> going anywhere. Yeah. But the moment we offered it, people were ready. It was amazing. Cindy and I sat and put our heads together, which is a considerable number of years of selecting library materials, and we tried to imagine what our initial users would be, and it was important that this be successful, and we, you know, assumed that they would primarily be sort of nerdy guys, and so we put in a lot of materials that we thought would be of interest to that, and um, to that, that user group, and the next thing we knew, first thing that went out were, were Harlequin romances because we got the Harlequin content and and they were going out just gangbusters right away and um, so everything that Cindy and I thought we knew about who was going to use this service was dead wrong, absolutely wrong. We had no no clue as to how popular it would be, but because of how innovative it was at the time, um, we got a lot of national press and that and then turned into regional and local press, which got a lot of press and. I was interviewed by, um, you know, made my family proud. I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And NBC Nightly News came to Cleveland Public Library, and Steve was on camera. So, yeah, we got a lot of, and and suddenly everybody was sort of waiting for something like this. And and I discovered something, I I was reminded of something I think I'd already known, which was libraries are well-loved by this society, by the American society. And the newspaper... And the news media people wanted this to succeed, so they gave it very good press because it was something new and something different that the libraries could do. At the time, we had a war going on in the Gulf, and um, one of the interesting features of our service was that people who had a library card who were serving overseas could check out an e-book. And this was, this was one of the things that people pointed out was, was truly great about this service. And... Um, and the news media really went with it. You know, they, they really liked the idea. They liked how it projected libraries to, to the public. And they gave us a lot of help. They did. So. I think the, the content element of it and what was available then compared to what is available now is very different. Yes. I mean, have, you know, if you worked in collection development previously with physical books, there's really no limitation to what you can physically get into a library. Mm-hmm. But... The way the ebooks works, it's a little bit different in terms of what you had available. And I imagine 15 years ago, there was not a lot available to choose no, from. It was it was a long, years long slog, publisher by publisher by publisher. Um, and I, if we've got any international customers out there, all I can say is be patient. The same thing happened in the United States. Right. It takes a while for publishers to overcome their fear. I remember the head of the American Publishers Association was convinced that e-books would be pirated. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of hurdles to get over. And, and um, publishers very happily now taking checks mm-hmm. from us. <laughs> but it took a long time for them it, to see that that was possible. Right. There was a great deal of fear and distrust. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that the recession of 2008 and 9 um, scared the publishing industry, which is one of the reasons there was, if you'll look at who started saying, sure, you can sell my e-books, is that the, that was an important period where people who had been somewhat resistant to selling their content as e-book, to libraries as e-books, um, changed their tune pretty quickly in 2008 and 9. Um, and, 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 and as a result, we now... There's very little we can sell. Still some stuff, and mm-hmm. we can still quibble over some of the the ways we sell it, whether it's right. metered access or one copy, one user, or how much we're being charged for it. But the but the content's there, and the public responds to that. So when when everything was kind of first getting going, and um, you, know, you guys were seeing success with admittedly limited content, when you know I know that. For a long time, Steve has had this relationship with both of you in, in Cleveland Public and Cuyahoga County Public Libraries and, and here in Cleveland. So when you were trying to get publishers to get on board, obviously everyone wants to New York Times bestsellers and things like that. But was Steve asking you guys, like, okay, let's start chipping away at this content. What content should we be purchasing? I'm just curious if, if you guys had any way of... In the early years, I remember going to some ALAs, um and probably maybe some BEAs of a book expos with 
an employee of Overdrive, Pam Turner, who would follow behind me with a with a notebook, and we would go see the booths, and I'd point to a booth, and she'd write that down. She followed me through the exhibit halls of, of the major, and she would write down, and then they would go back and say, hey, the players there at, at the conferences, and they started using those conferences not just to sell the libraries, but to make the publisher relationships. And um, and some of them, they just had doors slammed in their face uh, for years, and right. others said, sure, right away. This is something we ought to explore. Steve is the one who made those relationships happen, I think. He just, what, he never gave up. Right. He keep knocking right. on those doors. Right. Um, we didn't really have that kind of relationship with the publishers. No. We, you know, we don't deal directly with um, any publishers, or very few, and none that we can help. We like going through libraries, like buying through third parties, whether that's Brodard Baker and Taylor Ingram, or the like. Yeah. Um, so it's not like they knew us or knew even how many books they were selling to the Cleveland Public Library. So they really didn't have anything to base it on, mm -hmm. to base their feelings about how big the library market might or might not be. Yeah, so. yeah I think that was a huge surprise to publishers. Yeah. They knew they sold the libraries, but they thought it wasn't very much. Right. I wonder if the fact that Cleveland, like a library like Cleveland Public was sort of the first to kind of jump on board helped other librarians gain confidence in the system. There's sort of that built-in trust of, oh, if Cleveland Public is doing this, this is probably something we should look into or it's probably a good idea. Well, they called a lot. and We spent a lot of those first years <laughs> answering phones and emails and... You know, people had a lot of questions, and, and to this to this day, I was getting particularly now mostly their calls and, and questions are from overseas. Mm -hmm. um, but we've had certainly a long string of visitors come and talk to us about, or, or pick up the phone or email us and ask us about our ebook collections. I think that's something that large libraries do, though. And large libraries have the resources to try new things, and they. They tend to do that and then just absolutely share with mm -hmm. other libraries, and that spreads it. Yeah, that's true. And I will say, you, you guys are talking about Steve, our, our CEO, being relentless. It, everyone always asks, like, if I talk to somebody about Overdrive unrelated to our company or our podcast or anything, they'll say, you're always so excited about talking about it. And I say it comes from our, our CEO. Steve is relentless and he is his energy is infectious and um, he used to talk about how one of the stories i know before i was here when it was really early days anytime they would sell we would sell a new contract for a library he would he had this bell that he would come out and he would ring he would literally like ring this bell in the office and say like well, it's denver public library like he would yell out the libraries that it is and so anytime anyone asks someone from overdrive like why are you, you guys are always so upbeat now and it, it does it it starts with steve being Relentless. He's a great library supporter. He is. Mm -hmm. If you ever meet him, he will ask you, "Do you have a library card?" Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and then he'll show you like his fifteen library cards that he has from yeah. all over the country and all right. over the world. That's it's like his badge of honor to show you that he has a uh, like a Shanghai library card and a New York Public Library card, and of course all the ones from Ohio. Yeah, it's right. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's you know we are. Unfortunately, in a position right now in our political climate where libraries are feeling the pressure and they're feeling threatened. I don't know if threatened is the right oh, word. I think that's overworked. fair. All right. Overworked. Overworked. Yeah. yeah. Underfunded. Just, overworked. Yeah. There's just a lot going on for libraries right now that's not good. Um, and actually, I, I graduated from graduate school in 2008, 2009. I, I felt that... Um, as a library student, like graduating and, and the recession and, and jobs were not good. And it's feeling like that again, yep. except in a much more heightened level, I think, which is scary. Cause like, I mean, libraries are so important. I just, you know, libraries change lives. They do it every day. Yes. They, whether it's kids who come in who need help with their homework, whether it's parents of small children, who are bringing them in for some of the early socialization and, mm -hmm. and exposure to books, whether it's people working on their careers and their skill sets or their book clubs, uh, finding stuff to read, or senior citizens who need a reason to get out of the house that day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's they change lives. They, libraries change lives. They change them every day, and they change them in 
every community around America. And it, it's sad when we see these somewhat under some threat yeah. of people believing they're not important right. or essential uh, when, of course, they really are. They make communities better. So I'm curious. I, I don't know how, how often I would get a chance to ask you guys these types of questions, but we, we talked about how you guys, you you helped Steve, and you guys had the foresight of going to ask your director and saying like, "This is the thing we need to try from this ebook standpoint." And and Joe mentioned that you guys were you know in collection development at the library, but I want to go back and so what made you guys want to have a life in libraries and and decide I want to spend my life promoting literacy and 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 the importance of reading and things like that. So I I just kind of want to pick your brains and see where that decision came from for you guys. Well, it's confession time for me. <laughs> I graduated from college, um, and when I was a junior, my advisor called me in and said, if you don't declare a major, you're not going to graduate. <laughs> so I picked English literature because I like to read. And then when I was a senior, she said, you didn't take any education courses. And I said, no, I don't want to be a teacher. And she said, what are you going to do when you graduate? I said, I don't know. <laughs> And she said, well, somebody last year went to library school. And I thought, hmm, well, I could, maybe I could do that and support myself while I figure out what I want to do in my career. <laughs> and uh, I started library school a week after I graduated. We went straight through full time um, and got a job in a public library. And it turned out I loved it and I never went back. That's amazing. So that's my story. I, you know, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was taken as a small child to my neighborhood public, my neighbor branch of the New Orleans Public Library. And as I grew older, I went to different branches, and of course, the main library downtown, which mm -hmm. took the bus and the streetcar down to get to. Um, I've always felt a high degree of comfort in libraries physically. Um, I, I, I find wonderful places. I. I, I love to read and, and uh, was an English major as well and, um, and had librarians in the family. I, I had a, an aunt who was a school librarian and um, a couple of cousins who had gone into libraries. So it wasn't um, totally out of the blue for me to do this. When I became an English major, I um, knew that that was likely to be in that career path. So I also went straight through as soon as I finished my um, English bachelor's degree, I went directly into library school. I was at LSU at the time, which had a library school, which was very lucky for me. So, yeah. uh, And then did you both, were, was collection development where you both spent the majority of your career, or did you start off as a children's librarian? I started as a reference librarian. Um, I, was a reference, I was a government documents librarian. I was a serials librarian. I did, worked a variety of public service jobs, um, but I discovered, I'd say in the first, ten, certainly the first 10 years that I worked, I worked for 40 years, so you know, that was a pretty long career, you had plenty of time to try different things, um, that I, I, you know, I found that I liked acquisitions work, and I liked selecting materials, and so um, I'm eventually started be taking jobs as opening day collections and doing selections for library systems that were building new buildings and quite a few building new buildings, which I really enjoyed and, um, and became head of technical services and did that for a few years and a few places. So that's what I did. Go ahead, Sue. Well, I, my first job um, was as a reference librarian, but selection was definitely part of it. Um, and I worked my way up in a suburb of Cleveland till I got to deputy director. But even then, I was deputy director for public services and collection development. And I kept part of the selection myself for that. And then I realized, I don't, I don't really like this career path. <laughs> I don't think I want to be a director. So I, I made a total change and went to an ex-urban system for the chance to build a building. And I did that for a few years, but I kind of always kept collection development as my first love. And looking back now, it looks like it was intentional, but it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Yeah, sort of accidental, huh? But but it's there's no better job in libraries if you ask me. Collection development. Well, we you know 
we derive a tremendous amount of satisfaction of connecting people in books, people in content. And um, it's, it's the most satisfying thing you can do, whether you're sitting at a, at a public service desk or whether you're getting an email from a patron who says, I loved this book you gave mm -hmm. me, or I liked that movie, and can you recommend another one? It's, it's just hard to beat that feeling. Mm -hmm. it, it really is. It's, it's just the best feeling in the world. I feel like before we end this podcast in a couple minutes or whatever it is, we need to make sure we get some recommendations from these two because oh, we, we talk about book recommendations all the time. And like, Jill and I, we have people we can ask and we do some research ourselves, but we're not going to let you guys walk out here with any recommendations. But, Jill, what about you? We've never, so people who listen know that you were a uh, librarian in a women's prison, but male prison. Male prison. Sorry. That's okay. I, sheesh. Um, did, is that what you always wanted to do when you were going through school? I don't Being know if a prison librarian? That. No. <laughs> well, I, don't know ever, I don't think we've ever brought this up. So what, what was it for you? Oh, um, I started working um, in the public library in my hometown when I was in high school, mostly because my best friend was working there and I needed a summer job. Mm -hmm. And um, I continued working there. Um, through my senior year of high school, I would come back during summer breaks and winter breaks. And honestly, though, like I, it was just sort of a part-time job for me. It was never really what I wanted to do. Um, and I got, I did not major in English. I majored in creative writing. So similar. And I also did not want to be a teacher. I was very specific. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to go into publishing, that was my original choice, was, was publishing. That did not work. <laughs> um, but I needed to do something, and so I was looking at, I was living in Kentucky at the time, and University of Kentucky had a library science program, and I was like, meh, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> and that's how I ended up a librarian. And the prison job was what was open. And the prison job was what was open, because again, I graduated in the middle of the recession. There yeah. was, it, it was... It was so hard. I mean, I just, I remember applying to jobs at universities and organizations that I knew were well-funded and they would pull the jobs because they didn't have any money to fund these positions. And that's when like, I knew things were bad, you know? I mean, it's already sort of can be an oversaturated market of graduates as it was, but yeah, that was bad. And yeah, the prison was what was open and what was available. So you only need one job. You only need yeah. one job. That's right. That's right. And I really liked it. Um, it was just not something long-term for me. But I got a lot of experience because I was the only one there. I did everything. So, yeah. And that's how I ended up at Overdrive. I, when you said, Cindy, you said you only need one job, I was selling financial products for my dad who owns an insurance company. And I've always loved reading. I grew up, my, my mom's a third and fourth grade teacher for 39 years, and um, I was up reading, but I admittedly, I was applying anywhere that I could see an opening for. And then I discovered this job. I was like, wait, I can do marketing for a company that promotes reading and like came in and everyone around, it was infectious. And I was like, this is where I want to be. And so, yeah, you only need one person to say yes. So. so you came first and then I came first. And then there for people who have listened once or twice and not a very good brother because I've only had him on once or twice. But my older brother works here. He is four years my senior. He does not like me telling people that. Um, but yeah, I, I was here for about six months and they needed a job. Uh, there, there was a job opening for our digital bookmobile, which recently kicked off again and is traveling all over the country, uh, promoting, you know, digital library, digital collections for the libraries. And they had an opening for that, and I said my brother might be interested, and they told him how much you'd have to travel, and he had a young daughter at the time, and they said, well, that's not going to be interested. You know, I don't think you'll want that. But then they called him back a month later because they had an opening on the collection development team and said, I know you don't know a lot about the library world, but he was, he'd was he been a salesman for several years, and so we've both been here almost seven years now, again, just because they said yes to one of us, yeah. and so now they're stuck with two of us. So. <laughs> Um, do you have other questions for our lovely ladies? I do. I think it's, you know, what I remember when I was in graduate school and ebooks were, I think then sort of starting probably because publishers were more getting on board and they were really starting to take off and, you know, technology in the library world is constantly changing and some people get on board and some people do not and are resistant to that change. 
you two were clearly on board with that change and sort of seeing where the field was going and where the technology was going before a lot of, I think, other people and actually had the initiative to actually go out and try to make it happen. That just, like, I think, you know, there's a question in here somewhere, I promise. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just sort of, like, what was it that you knew that ebooks were sort of where we were headed and you know and and what was it that made you want to really pursue this as a thing and you know the necessity behind it again there's a question in there somewhere i'm just not formed yeah no, I, <laughs> you know i think that by that time by 2000 i had completely embraced like everybody had we're processing And once you realize that those files are digital, which they were, how hard could the the next step be? And we were already, by 2000, seeing what was touted in the 70s or the 80s as the paperless society, which, of course, never really happened. (laughs) But but we were seeing, we we were more accepting that it would be a gradual, but but the idea of, Books didn't have to be printed. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to be manufactured. And they didn't have to be distributed and put on a truck and shipped to a warehouse and, and all of those things. Um, that the that the business efficiency of ebooks was very very compelling to me. And um, you know how many trees are we gonna are we gonna take down for uh, paperback romance novels? And I, and I love paperback. God knows that we, we in the ebook business we love romance readers. And, and I don't want to insult anybody, but but the fact is that there are limits to the natural resources to make, create books. And then very early in the stage, um, someone said to me what how many school children there were in China. And I realized that, oh, this is going to take, this is going to be a big deal. Right. Because there's no way that they can make textbooks for every school child in China. <laughs> I mean, that we don't have the resources on this planet to do that. So there has to be a different way to go about it. So that was sort of my motivation. You know, for me, I think I really get a lot of satisfaction from pleasing readers, as mm-hmm. Tish said earlier. And I could see um, just some really practical advantages. People don't like to have to come into the library they're busy these days. Everything's changed from the 70s when I started my career. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, at the time, had to go on a trip like me and take 20 books with them on a plane. Um, Audio books, you had to flip CDs. Oh, so and I could see that this was going to be so convenient. This was going to be better. <laughs> you could, you be could change the font mm-hmm. instead of having to buy a large print version of a book. Um, you could read in bed at night without turning the light on. I mean, I could just see that this is really, it, it's just a perfect fit for modern readers. Right. And... We live in, and certainly by 2000, we knew we were living in a 24-7 world. Amazon had changed everything in retail. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, and that was long before 2007. Um, but we, we knew it was a 24-7 world. The availability of these materials to people who wanted to read them at 3 o'clock in the morning was phenomenal. And we did a lot of business at 3 o'clock in the morning. And that's probably the biggest change I've seen over my I started working in 1972, however many years that is. Um, in a way, librarians did selection the same way they do now, the same journals, the absolute same four major review journals. Right. Mm-hmm. The difference was pre-Amazon, customers and even librarians didn't know which books were in the pipeline, what was coming. The way they knew about new books was to go to the bookstore and browse. And libraries were so paper-oriented, it was so difficult to order at the time. And the only, the only um, way we knew books were coming was to read Kirkus, I think, at the time, had the, the earliest reviews. And by the time you read the review, the book was coming next month. Mm. 
And, you know, there were a couple of other tools, but they weren't very good. Publishers didn't work directly with libraries, mostly in those days. We didn't get their catalogs without paying for them. And, but there wasn't the pressure from patrons. And now they know when Stephen King's next book is coming, and they expect the library to have it on the laydown date. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So everything has changed, and I think the post-Amazon world should have changed all libraries, but if it hasn't changed your library yet, you're, you're missing out. Yeah. I'm just, when you guys are talking about the benefits back in 2000, 2001, I'm saying like, you can read in bed, you don't have to take books with you. You can, you know, you can read at three in the morning, you can listen to audiobooks without having to take CDs with me. I was chuckling because we still get people sending us like tweets or telling us like randomly, those are the same benefits that people are just still discovering today, and it always cracks me up. I'm like, yep, yeah, you've been able to do that for almost two decades now. So but it's glad. okay. Yeah, I'm glad okay. you discovered yeah, it. Better it's better than you do than ever. I'm glad you got it. Yeah. I think the audiobooks, that was the biggest change for me. Oh, yeah. Because I read big books. And that's like 30, 40 CDs. I'm like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Like, just... I think even in the early years, a lot of libraries didn't see the value of the books. But when audiobooks came... Yeah. It sank in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, I don't have to flip the CDs. Oh, I can jog while I'm listening. Mm -hmm. And that's when a lot of my friends went. Some of the first ones just bought audiobooks. Right. right. Well, it's probably because, you know, audiobooks, ebooks, it's the same process for if you're mm -hmm. the librarian checking it out or the reader checking it out. There's very little interaction. But when you're the librarian checking the audiobook in, and you have to go through check every disc. Check every disc and make yeah. sure that they're all there. Um, nothing had been copied or swapped out. Like that, that takes a lot of time, yeah. or even yeah. when you're checking it out. And so that's probably where the shift is for those librarians who may be a little resistant to ebooks. They realize it made their job easier. Sure did. In a oh, way it's, it's made didn't. everybody's job easier. Yeah. This is, this is a great yeah. thing. I, no one yes. can see me with like my mouth again. I never. Yeah, I'm not. I have to check every library. Line. So yeah, yeah, the idea you're absolutely right. Going to and, every you know, single. And as oh someone God. who inadvertently left the last CD in, in car. the car, yep. you know, you know, and we all did that. It was very, very easy to yeah. do. It happened a lot, all the time. And you have to make that phone call and tell yeah. them to come yep. back to the library. You know, we're missing one of your CDs. It's changed a lot of other library routines too. Like the old problem every library had at the end of the year. People had a budget, and then they spent it all in November because they were afraid they were going to run out of money early. And then the technical services department had box after box of new books coming in just when they wanted to go on vacation mm -hmm. at the holidays time. Yeah. And it took them months to catch months up. Months to clear that, yeah. Buy a bunch of e-books. They're on your site in a few minutes. No muss, no fuss. The, the ability for... That's always... One of our favorite times of the year around here is during the holiday season. Is you know even if we're out of the office during you know, Christmas and Hanukkah and the New Year and all that time, it's amazing to see our numbers, our circulations just skyrocket because you know millions of new people get phones or tablets or devices for the first time and then they discover that you can use Overdrive and don't have to go to the library, don't have to you know get out of bed, you can do it. So it is always really fun just to see those numbers. In the library, we used to call that the Santa effect. <laughs> <laughs> then on the 26th of December, yeah. we would watch uh, we would watch the mm -hmm. Overdrive checkouts jam, mm -hmm. and then suddenly there was nothing left because we had very small collections, but yeah. we called it the Santa effect. Oh, Santa would Santa. give them a yeah. reader or whatever or whatever, and there it was, and they were trying to download yeah. them on the 26th. Well, and I can remember, like I said, I've only been here seven years but i can remember the first few years i started here our servers were nowhere near what they are no. now no. and so we would have we would be doing spot checking so like i would wake up on christmas mm -hmm. morning and i would be one of the people we all everyone at the team and the company had to pitch in to go in and check on the back end and make sure websites were right. still running and because we got that huge surge so it was a good problem to have yeah, it yeah. was yeah it was a good problem but then we would get we would get the complaints you never have anything I want. You know, there's nothing in there for me. Nothing, you know? yeah. So I could come back from Christmas vacation and be hit with a bunch of emails. about people who wanted bigger and better collections. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's it's a tough, good problem. Tough to meet the demand. Yeah. Do you have Well, before we go, because you are both collection development experts, and again, we always like to give some book recommendations with every episode. So do you guys have a few books? They could be 
books that are coming out in the near future or something that you've read recently? Just maybe a couple books from both you guys that you I'm really reading enjoy. right now. Uh, I read um, lots of different kinds of books, but every third book I read is nonfiction. Um, I make a practice to do that because it's, it's good for me to do that. And so the nonfiction book I'm reading and enjoying is called Eight Flavors. It's about cooking and it's about flavors um, that changed American cuisine. Oh, and it's it's good. fascinating, and it was really? written by um, a young lady who grew up in Cleveland, and oh. I didn't know that till I got the book home and started reading it. And it has flavors like vanilla and sriracha oh, and um, soy sauce, and it's it's called Eight Flavors, and I'm yeah I'm enjoying it. Sounds, if you're interested good. in food and the history of food, it's yes, you know the history of vanilla beans was just turned out yeah. fascinating. So. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been interested in genealogy lately, and Part of my family came from Russia, and so I've been reading a lot of Russian stuff. One of the books I enjoyed the most last year was The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Mm -hmm. She has a new book coming out, which I can't wait for, uh, which is a sequel. But that one is, um, it's set in Russia as if the old Russian legends are really true. And the, I don't know, house gods or whatever you want to call them really exist. And uh, I just thought it was terrific. Um, other than that, I've been reading about the Russian Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a fascinating topic on this one. Yeah. Well, I think. Yeah, yeah no, I, we obviously, you know, we get to talk to you guys every day when we share an office, but it's really a neat experience for us to be able to share the history of overdrive and kind of get i love talking um, about libraries and i yeah. love talking i will always talk about libraries and books and reading you know it's yeah. and i have to i have to say this is a great place to work if you love books it is, it is. people just it's talk all about all the books it's all about the content yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and we joke you talk about ebooks we always joke about like people assume we only read ebooks but if you come to our office every single one of our cubes is just stacks and stacks of advanced reader copies right. and, and we have the paper, paper books too we have the paper books too, books too. Exactly. Yeah. well thank you ladies you're certainly welcome thank you very exciting yeah it was fun readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts.